All right, we already did the hey, Carlo, how you doing thing. About my obnoxious hello to start the. the oh, yeah, okay. Well, okay. We, we can start. We can, we can, we can properly start. All right. I say, hey, Carlo, how's it going? Hey, Josh. How are you? You didn't do your big high. We did the, we reset so you could do a big high and you didn't do it. But hey is still high. It was loud. That's what matters. <laughs> my part of the it's my it's my intro so butt out josh <laughs> fair enough um yeah we're, we're back and uh what are we doing this month it's april we're going to do the april lineup mm-hmm. our lineup for uh this month or last month for april's lineup we have our headliners meshuggah monuments crash diet and rammstein mm-hmm. uh, that we'll be getting into they're the the big name releases that i think deserve an in-depth discussion then we have our uh special guests sort of the smaller releases that we think are worth highlighting from ocean Grove, Audrey Horn, Crown Compass, The Spirit, and King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. And supports, just some other releases we thought deserve a, a quick mention and discussion from Delvoid, Destruction, Cancer Bats, Black Matter Device, Denzel Curry, Kirk Hammett, Reckless Love, and Undeath. And then Cool People Time with Health's Disco 4 Part 2. Let's get into it. Uh, yeah, let's start off with, I guess, Meshuggah is the, the biggest release. We've got it up the top, maybe, maybe Ramstein, but I think in a, in a blog perspective, uh, Meshuggah are the big ones. Meshuggah with Immutable. Meshuggah with Immutable, the unmoving lords of technical progressive metal. I love Meshuggah, big Meshuggah mm-hmm. fan. In retrospect, I'm like, it took me a while to really click with Meshuggah and it was Obzen that got me on board. But then I realized, well, Obzen, when did that come out? 2008. 2008. So I'd sort of dabbled in Meshuggah didn't really get it. Obzen came out immediately clicked with me. Like I heard combustion. I was like, oh, um, but I was 18 when Obzen came out. So if, surprise, 16 year old me did not understand Chaos Fear. <laughs> so for my actual adult life, um, I've been a huge Meshuggah fan. I um, I have my old ratty Coloss hoodie uh, that I wear to all the gigs and inevitably someone stops me and goes, oh, cool jumper, man. Every time I wear the, the Coloss hoodie, it, if I wear anything else, no one cares. The Coloss hoodie gets a uh, the recognition so if you've seen a guy hanging out at gigs in melbourne in a um meshuggah colossal hoodie that is me uh yeah so a big fan i wasn't huge on the last album the violent sleep of reason which i think is generally seen as a um a step down from uh some of their stuff although um i've warmed on it in time and i think uh, ahmed's review of it which i read recently in preparation for this really sort of sold me on it a bit more he was saying it's like because he does music theory stuff where he's like this Mm -hmm. is actually maybe their most advanced like technical album and, and I think that review is a really interesting read if you haven't really revisited the violent sleep of reason so yeah big Meshuggah fan and probably more so into their their modern stuff than the earlier stuff I think you know most people it's the other way whereas for me yep. Coloss might be my favorite of theirs I, I think it's an amazing album so yeah into into Meshuggah into modern Meshuggah how about you Carlo well despite their gargantuan status in prog and tech circles I've not really spent a huge amount of time with them uh when I was first getting into sort of prog in general I found them impenetrable uh on my first even (laughs) exactly uh and then like I never really gave an album a go it was just songs here or there and didn't really click the first proper album I listened to was the violent sleep of reason when it came out um and like I enjoyed it I thought that was pretty good uh a bit long but pretty good and here we are with Immutable. Well, before we go to Immutable, have you been like back since? 
and not since the year it came out. Oh no, not to the album, like uh, back like into the their catalogue. Catalog. Yeah. Because no. as as I just said, yeah, the Violent Sleep of Reason is generally seen as like the weakest sugar album, probably. So um I would recommend, yeah. Obzan's the one, and for me, Coloss is on par. Although I think that is a, a fairly um irregular opinion. Uh so here we are with Immutable, uh, and I'm gonna come straight out and, and say that yeah, th- this album is not it. I am I am not feeling this at all. When I um mm. alluded last week to uh, uh what are they called north lane was yep. only going to be my least favorite album we'd reviewed for another month this is what i was <laughs> referring to since then i've given it a bit more listen i've cooled on my initial sort of gut reaction i i do prefer this to the north lane album just because i like the sound of my sugar more than i like the sound of north lane but if yep. i was to take myself out of it and look at these albums objectively i think the north lane is a far more successful record in in terms of what it's going for what it's I trying think, to do yeah it's not something i particularly like but i think they're getting closer to yeah what they were aiming for here I don't think Meshuggah are anywhere in the ballpark of what they're trying to do with this album. We'll get into that a bit more, but let's get your initial impressions. The second Meshuggah album you've ever uh, listened to, how are you feeling about Immutable? I'm feeling that there's some weird time signatures, there's guitars that go chug-chug, and the vocalist that goes rah-rah, and it's about sounds the same pretty much all the way through. For a long time. Yeah. Like, the, the most interesting part for me was the solos. Like, the solos really stood out to me on the first few songs, and I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty cool and interesting and then the solos sort of became the same on every single song and I was just like oh okay like it was cool for a couple of tracks but now it's a whole album of the same solo um so I don't know I I was writing it off as maybe this band just isn't for me but if you're saying it's it's the album then maybe I should go back um, no this is even the people who like like this album this is if not the weakest my sugar album like it's between this and the debut which I have a, a very um I, I like the debut quite a lot but mm. no this is even the people who like it are going I still like it. it's really good it's this is nowhere near the quality of their other albums which until the Violent Sleep of Reasons they didn't really have a dud like if you're if yeah. you're into Meshuggah which who knows if you are but you've only listened to the two sort of waning off ones <laughs> I, Obzen you need to listen to Obzen because it is responsible for all the music what you like including that North Lane album that you say about the solos is interesting because that's sort of a, a point of discussion around this album so do you do you know anything about the context or background of this or are you just going in completely completely Alright, so this album sounds like they're maybe over it because maybe they're over it. This has been the longest gap between albums for them, so this is 2016 was The Violent Sleep of Reason and then six years between albums. Mm. And The Violent Sleep of Reason was a bit of an anomaly because it was more or less entirely written by the bass player, who was right. a new addition to the band. So they got a new guy in, had him Wait, write Nish? the new album. Yeah, I'm sure you know there were other contributions, but that's the, the general story. And then this album is the same in that it's mostly led by him and and the drummer uh, Thomas Hark who is maybe the best drummer ever um, although you couldn't tell from this album well I mean you can't deny the, the technical prep chops that he shows I don't even know if he if he really shows them on this album in terms of the right so Meshuggah have always historically been described as mechanical has been the, the word that's applied to them because yes there's mm. these really complex technical grooves and they used to talk about that like in, they would start writing a song they just pick two numbers and ram them together as a time sheet and jam that and see what comes out, right? Really sort of mechanics first. And they had uh, Catch 33 and I, which were like, they pioneered the, the drum kit from hell, the software to essentially write drum parts that he couldn't physically play. <laughs> <laughs> Bleed, which is their big song, which I, I hope you know Bleed, yeah. uh, from Obzen with the crazy drum pad. That was written on the, the drum machine and then he had to learn that. So he can play it now, but he like, yeah. Yeah. 
I don't think any human just sees those notes and is like, oh, yeah, I can play this first try. Uh. Well, yeah, <laughs> the bleed riff is one note. And then, you know, it's like the open note with the bend. And then I've, I've spent afternoons trying to, no, I can't, I can't do it. I can't get the, where are the breaks? It's it's crazy. So, yeah, they're very good. Um, Col- so since Coloss, which was the album that came out after Obzen, there's been this leaning towards a more organic writing style and sound. I don't mm. know if you really hear it so much on Coloss, but definitely the Violent Sleeper Reason and definitely here, they're going for more of that yeah organic jam vibe which this album was written as the drummer and the bass player and and maybe the other guitarist getting together and just jamming stuff out and see and seeing what happens rather than and i think that is a great starting point for me this sounds like the demos this sounds like the jams this doesn't sound like the songs that have then been refined because yeah they just hit a groove and then it just goes on for five minutes yeah um so to bring the 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 solos back into it because that's the point i started with the guitarist frederick thordenhall who's solo sound like that and he's like an amazing guitarist he seems to be less and less invested in the in the band as well he didn't do right. any of the writing for this or the last album and he uh, didn't play on it apart from those solos which he has a very distinct solo sound they his solos sound like these solos yeah but yes, when he's so there's there's less solos, less lead work here, which sort of makes the song sound a bit more monotonous and things. But when his solos come in, I I just think they're nothing. Mm. It's sort of like the Kerry King of tech metal now, where it's just like <laughs> they all sound the same. Like he's brought in some really cool lead lines and melodies in the old, in the old work that just aren't on this one. Yep. The the other point I wanted to make about that is that the band uh, this album reminds me of the most uh, um, is actually Trivium, which doesn't make yeah. any sense from a yeah, yeah a sonic How? perspective. Well, so this. This is a meta comparison. Right. Uh, this specifically reminds me of early Trivium in that I love the first 30 seconds of every single one of these songs. The riff is awesome. <laughs> and then it all falls apart and the vocals are horrible. So yeah, I, I think, yeah, the, the vocalist Jens Kidman, who has a very mon- monotonous, gruff delivery. But yeah. again, on the older stuff, that really works where he like clicks into that rhythm and it's almost like this concussive um, thing, like especially on a song like Provost or something from, from Obzen. Here, it just like, he just comes in and does some rambling and then and yeah this none of these songs feel finished to me yeah every, every instrument feels one note vocals included like they're just sort of doing the same thing and they've only, they've got one thing they want to do and they're just doing that one thing over and over cool i'm glad you enjoyed your jam session well something like you were saying oh you, you see the technical prowess and stuff like the the snare hit on the the fourth note or whatever it is that has become a cliche of mushuga since obzen that just that's how he writes so i think they need to write an album where they ban themselves from putting a snare hit on on the on the four <laughs> so i i have called on this a bit like i don't think it's a successful album i don't think it's a complete abomination but what do you think of the 10 minute instrumental they move below uh is that on this album <laughs> <laughs> um, it sure is it's in the right in the middle of the album <laughs> Track seven, there is a 10-minute instrumental track that goes all like weird and spacey. And then they end uh, yeah. with a six-minute instrumental as well. well, that just well as you can see, I remember it so clearly. Uh, right. It was the highlight of the album. <laughs> well, yeah, sort of some of the, the other critical uh, appraisal of this album, a common thread has been this instrumental, A, that doesn't need to be there, or B, needs to not be 10 minutes. Yep. 
I've done a little bit of experimenting trying to get this album work. I'm not, I'm not going to do like a big resequence thing like we did with Ghost, I promise. Um, though I sort of thought, yeah, that instrumental, it's not there, it's not finished, but it is the um, like the most different thing on the album. I wish that was a starting point, that they took right. that one and then and went off in that direction more. So even though that track's not successful, that's the one time on the on the album where I'm like, oh, you're trying something. You're, you're mm. reaching for something here. So I have actually found, because I find this album exhausting, that by the yep. time, yeah, the Agreed. first like six songs and then you hit a 10 minute instrumental I'm done with it right whereas I actually find a lot of the more compelling stuff is in the back half of the album so I have given it a couple of listens where I've actually started with that that 10 minute instrumental they moved below put that as track one listen to the second half of the album and then into the first part of the album and I find that working a lot better for me because the first half is really monotonous and even though the riffs are, are good um, it's it's exhausting whereas if I have the first half of the album to sort of get me in the mood by the time I hit there I'm sort of locked in a bit more yep. so that that has just been something I, I tried and went oh, okay this this sort of makes it make a little bit more sense but as it is yeah I, f- I find this album exhausting um, the desperate moves of the diehard Nishoka fan <laughs> Yeah, Ahmed also reviewed this one for, for Heavy Blog and he, he gave a fairly lukewarm reception of it but he concluded that anyone coming into Immutable expecting Meshuggah to innovate like they have been before will doubtless leave sorely disappointed. But should a more experienced listener treat Immutable like the hour-long victory lap that it is, an almost celebratory retread of the band's genre-defining sound and accomplishments, then it can still end up being an enjoyable listen, and especially so for anyone who's already been on board with the Meshuggah, on board the Meshuggah train for a while now. I, I don't think that. As a long-time Meshuggah fan, I, I don't think this is a, a satisfying victory lap. I think he could have said that of The Violent Sleep of Reason. But yeah, it's not as good, but they're doing the thing. I wasn't really expecting anything innovative from this, but I was expecting something engaging and enjoyable, and I didn't get that. And on that point of innovation, my first reaction to this album is when they dropped the trailer for it, we saw the artwork. You know Code Orange are a big deal when even Meshuggah are ripping them off, right? That that album cover, is that's the first like three seconds of the um, Swallowing the Rabbit Hole video. That's the uh, that's the Code Orange mascot, guys. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? He's holding the knife and everything. So it does seem like they've uh, run out of ideas at this point. Well, it can't get any worse, right? Well, we'll see. Mm, stay tuned. No, we're not um, reviewing North Lane this week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where do you want to go next? We'll go Monuments with Instasis. I think it makes sense to go to Monuments because this is sort of the the modern take on the Meshuggah gent sound. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have much of a history with Meshuggah. I am to understand that you you like Monuments. I've seen Monuments live with you. We've enjoyed them. We've talked about how much we liked that last album, yeah? Yeah. Like, uh, I haven't been a fan since the beginning, mm-hmm. but the, the last album was cool. The one before that was cool. So, yeah. Right. Have, have you gone back to the debut? Uh, I've heard it, but I haven't, like, I'm not familiar with it. Like, right. I haven't listened to it enough. That's your favorite, right? That's my yeah. favorite Monuments album. And that's the, when we saw them live, that was, I really, I really liked the last one as well. And they were playing all the new stuff. And then mm-hmm. right at the end of the set, they dropped into all the stuff off the debut. And it was like, just a noticeable, like, gear shift up where I was like, oh, yep. those, those songs are the ones. Yeah, that, that's my favorite album of theirs and i think is my favorite gent album these are these guys are my favorite gent band it's bad or the second periphery album but probably um uh monuments just because it's it's more efficient the second periphery album um yes the the second periphery album there's a this time it's personal whatever the red one i thought i thought gent only had great debuts ah, josh if you read my article i will say that the only <laughs> exception is periphery <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and maybe Tesseract. You, you like like Tesseract yeah. to your guys, right? Yeah, I'm a big Tesseract fan. Um, at the time I wrote that Gen article, Monuments only had two albums, and the, the second one I thought was okay, but it didn't do as much for me. Mm. Um, then I ended up really liking the third one, and I like this one quite a bit too. So I think it would be worth revisiting that article actually now where we're down the line and being like, okay, did anyone like bring it back? Because I think Monuments yeah. are definitely an argument for that. Um, yeah, how are you feeling about this this fourth Monuments album? It took me a long time to have a f- an opinion on it. Oh, okay. Uh, I, feel, I feel like with every listen, I was just like, I don't know if I like this yet. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me give, give that another shot. Uh, and I've settled on, I do like it. Um, so, <laughs> Is that better? Like that's above, it's fine. Has it broken through the fine barrier? It has broken through the fine barrier. Right. So there's, there's some cool hooks, nice melodies. The music is excellent all the way through. That, that part wasn't in question for me. But the the new vocalist's clean vocals, the the tone just is not my personal favorite. Like I think he sings well. It's just not the tone that I personally enjoy. Um, so it took me a bit of time to sort of warm up to that. Uh, I think his harsh vocals are great. And so yeah, that's that's where I'm at at the moment. I find that very surprising to hear about the vocalist because I I agree sort of 100% with everything you're saying about him. Because yeah, the, the big change between this and the last album is they lost Chris Barreto, who mm. is an awesome frontman and. And I thought, yeah, the last album was a very melodic focused album. Um, but he had rather Michael than this, Jackson meets Gent. Yeah, I was going to say we, we talked about um, was a Varsity doing sort of the weekend, but yeah. metalcore or whatever. That last, um, yeah, Monuments album. There's a lot of yeah Michael Jacksony sort of um, R and B stuff going on there. Yeah. Um, but then I think he still has a lot more power and stuff in in his harsh vocal delivery more than this guy whose name I don't know. I'm sorry. Is it Andy Sizek? Maybe I thought he was in another band but but he's not or he was but yeah. it's not one that is that is noteworthy yeah no i had like when i saw that, that that's who it was i was like i could have sworn this guy was in some other like metal corey emo type band well that is but... because they've traded out one of the most distinct and electrifying front men for you know stock gent vocalist who's... number whatever i think i know who i've got him mixed up with is it anyone who's ever sung for tesseract no <laughs> It is whoever came in to asking Alexandria oh, to replace. And okay. oh, no. I must have it mixed. I don't know who that is. I think this guy does a really good job and he's fine. So I'm, you know, being a little overdramatic and I feel like I've been a bit harsh on him in my last few comments. But I'm surprised to hear that his vocals aren't really gelling with you because to me, he, he sounds like everyone who's ever sung for Tesseract. See, I get that. I get that a lot. I get people saying, <laughs> like, every time I criticize some, like, stock standard pop voice, they're like, but you like Tesseract. And I'm like, dude, Tesseract is, the vocalists there are so much better than these generic guys. Uh, so I stand by that opinion. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I think I think this is good. I... <sighs> Yeah, it's probably it's probably still like my third favorite Monuments album. I probably still prefer the last one. Yeah, same. Like, I think this is actually a really good blend of the the heaviness and technicality of that debut album with the melody they brought in the last album. Like, it really is a, a blend of when when the first song comes out, it was like a complete throwback to the debut, and I was like, oh, mm. here we go. They they do a lot more uh, melodic stuff, especially in the middle of the album, which is I do find his melodies aren't as compelling as Barretto's. Mm. And for me, I think like the first few tracks are amazing and the last few tracks are amazing like it's yeah start agreed. strong end strong i think the the last track is quite an accomplishment it's the big long program yeah. it was the closer i think that really got me on board like simultaneously catchy and epic and or really second whole second half to that track i think it's a fantastic way to close it out yeah this is the eight minute long sumerian we are talking yep. about here and i think it is 
like good the whole way through, but I do find the stuff in the middle is is less remarkable, I guess. Mm. Um, Although I, I am also sort of biased in that opinion, given that Spencer Sotelo of Periphery guests on one of the middle tracks, and he is the pin-up vocalist for the tone I really don't like. Right. Yeah, no, there's a lot of people who don't like his vocals. Like, that. that's a thing. I really like his vocals and have always really liked his vocals. Like, when he joined Periphery and people were complaining, I was like, well, what are you, what are you talking about? This guy is a great vocalist. But I actually, I don't think this is a good guest spot. I think he comes in and really sort of, not quite derails the track, but it does then become like, oh, the Spencer Satello show. show. Yeah, yeah, and the song is not written to suit him. Yep. So as much as Agreed. he comes in immediately and I'm like, this is a way more distinct and idiosyncratic vocal than the guy who's doing the rest of it, but it doesn't serve the song. So yeah, I, I think that guest spot isn't good. I think he could have done a good guest spot, but it, it's not one. Um, but yeah, this is cool. I don't think this is going to make my end of year list. Like I think I had, um, we could keep calling it the last album, Phrenesis. Phrenesis. I think it might have even made my top 10. Like, I think it was quite high um, in my list that year and I listened to it a lot. This one, I don't think it's going to make my end of your list. I haven't been finding myself compelled to go back to it as much, but mm. um, I still really enjoyed it and reminded me just like how good monuments are. I genuinely, they're, they're my favorite gen band. Yeah, cool. Yeah, for me, it's probably going to be on the cusp of lists or honorable mentions. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's switch gears. Let's do it. It's Josh time. It's everybody time because we talked about Girish on the, was that the first episode? The second episode. We talked about Girish. He's yeah, an up the and first one, I think. Girish and the Chronicles. And I said that album was as good as some of the classic 80s ones. We're, we're talking hair metal now, guys. But he's an Give up and comer. He's, uh, you know, he's coming out. Oh, this is a strong new album. Keep your eye on this guy. We're here to talk about Crash Diet and their album Automaton. And Crash Diet, uh, they're, they're your big guys. Hence why they're in the headliners. Um, so I'm going to go off here and then we'll get Carlo's take. Um, to give some context on the Swedish hair metal revival of the early 2000s, which is something I don't know how, how familiar color analysis would be, but essentially in the early 2000s, for about 2005 to 2015, there was there was a Swedish right. hair metal revival. Um, lots of big bands coming out doing that that 80s sound, um, and Crash Diet were the big ones of them, uh, sort of leading the charge. I mean, you, you could talk about um, Hardcore Superstar, but they sort of existed earlier and then dipped in and then have now sort of moved off in a different direction but you had bands like crash right. diet crazy licks uh heat they're the big ones and then just a ton of other bands there was just a hair metal revival going on in sweden um yeah crash diet were i don't know how big they are um but i think they're they're sizable in sweden and were sort of the big pinup guys of the scene they're also and in your head as well yeah they were the best by a mile uh they're my favorites they're the monuments of um <laughs> swedish <laughs> hair metal um, Living rent-free in Josh's mind, yep. Yeah, they're, they're good. I, now, I wrote a whole uh, Half-Life thing when they, they put out their last album. So if you want the in-depth Crash Diet history breakdown, you can go and read that on the blog. But uh, they've had quite a, a storied history. So to give you the brief rundown, they come out with the debut, Rest in Sleaze from 2005. This is an all-time classic. This was, I think, when I went back through and did all my album of the year list. This was my album of the year for 2005. Absolute all-timer. And I do want to stress that the Sleaze, when it comes to uh, Crash Diet, because they sort of identify as like we're sleaze metal or sleaze rock. It's not like grubby, sexy sleaze. This is like dirty, gritty right. punk sleaze. There's a real sort of streets. They, they sing about anarchy and rebellion rather than um, pinup girls and strippers. That's that's crazy licks job. Right. So that's where they're coming from. They sort of got their street image. Their singer, Dave Leppard. Is that his actual name or is this just not. Def Leppard? <laughs> 
Yeah, because I saw that. I saw that, and I was like, "This can't be real." Well, I always get him mixed up with the villain of the Darren Shan young adult vampire novel series, who's Steve Leopard. No, they had a singer, Dave Leopard, who who killed himself. He he died by suicide. I think fairly shortly after this album was released, but they they came back pretty soon after that with their second album, The Unattractive Revolution, from 2007. So only two years after the de- the debut. Oh, yes. Okay. So you you were laughing at um Dave Leopard. His replacement's name was H. Oliver Twisted. <laughs> <laughs> um, who was a very different vocalist, much sort of higher, shriller vocal. This is not a great album, The Unattractive Revolution. It has some good songs on it, like like Falling Rain's a great one, but yeah, not as strong, not as good, a bit of a different sort of image for the band. The, the other thing about Crash Diet, I mentioned the sleaze thing being like they're gritty, they're punk, they're anarchy. They're also, the drummer wears Morbid Angel shirts and has a big drum and then does double kick. He, he wants to be in a death metal band and you, you hear that come through. They're a much more metal band than their contemporaries, um, whereas I think H. Oliver Twisted, if you watch the videos from that era, they come out and they foot up on the monitor and they're throwing down and there's Morbid Angel logos everywhere. And then he comes out in a red jumpsuit and does like scissor kicks. <laughs> so yes, they went from someone who was a good version of Vince Neil to someone who wanted to be a bad version of David Lee Roth. Quite a jarring change there. He left after that album or I don't think he really got along with the band is what I've read into it and went and formed the band Reckless Love. We've got them later on, don't we? We do. Yes. We can maybe do the them now actually because Reckless Love are an awful band this is all of that like 80s nostalgia throwback they're doing the neon lights they wanted to be Journey mm-hmm. no good except Carlo they put out a new album this year uh, which is called Turbo Rider yep and they've gone so rather than sounding like Journey this album as its name suggests sounds like Turbo era Judas Priest they've gone like full 80s Judas Priest fell. yeah you listened to it didn't you what did you think of Turbo Rider uh, I did so <laughs> my well my opening note is the first track sounds like what if Judas Priest was a synthwave band? Right. Uh, so the overall, I, th- I thought it was just okay. There are some cool moments. It gets a bit poppier as you go. I, I will concede there there are some to use your phrase, fist to the yeah, fist right? to the to the sky riffs. Uh, like Bark at the Moon in particular. They did um, a cover of Bark at the Moon, yeah. But uh, as a as a package, uh, didn't didn't do a huge amount for me. Um, yeah, but just the fact that you got any enjoyment out of that, because I'm telling you, all the album, Reckless Love albums before this one are abysmal. <laughs> So the fact that this is not only, hey, they've released a good album, it's a pretty good album that sounds like Judas Priest that Carlo likes. Yeah, worth checking out if that sounds like something you're into. So that's a little early support review there. But yeah, he, he left the band. They got a new guy in. Vocals round three. Yeah, this is their their fourth vocalist. Uh, Simon Cruz, who had a big mohawk. like a, He looked like the cover of the Exploited albums and had the, I think he had the Crash Diet logo tattooed on one side of his head and the Anarchy logo tattooed on the other side of his head they released Generation Wild in 2010 which is another all time classic amazing great album um, I think I gave a track off it to got in a, a playlist swap and you know he didn't hate it so you know I'm, I'm gradually converting the heavy vlog stuff no this is the album if I was like hey do you want to get into Swedish Sleaze Rock Generation Wild from 2010 it's a, it's a more metal leaning album great album so they got, they got two all timers under their bat and this is when I come in and discover the band I'm like these guys are the best they release a follow up to that 2013 
the Savage Playground, which I pre-ordered from Sweden because they, they weren't like a big international deal at that point. This album comes out, it's a dud. It's a complete dud, massive disappointment. It's got like one good song on it. Bit of a bummer. They sort of just disappear after that. Um, right. they're, they're touring. I, I did see them live at the, at the ESPN St Kilda. Good night. But they just sort of, they disappear for a while. They're not really doing anything. All the other bands that they were sort of head and shoulders above start overtaking them in terms of reputation, quality of output, all of that. It comes out that Simon Cruz leaves the band halfway through a tour for like no reason. And it seemed like with him, they'd really found their guy. Um, mm. and he, he was sort of like iconic as well with the big hair. He's gone. So we're on to round four. We're on to round four. They sort of come out back out of nowhere, 2019 with Rust. And they have a new vocalist, Peter London, who I don't think he was in any other bands of note. Yeah. So this is when I wrote up the, the Half-Life forum. Rust was an okay album, better than the, the last one in the Unattractive Revolution, but a bit all over the place, like sort of feeling out different directions. And in terms of even um, H. Oliver Twisted, who wasn't a great vocalist and didn't really suit the band, had this really distinct sort of style to him that he's gone off and made very successful. And here's the thing about Reckless Love. Reckless Love are like pretty big, um, which is right. crazy. But this new guy, Peter London, was good, but was just sort of stock 80s hair metal vocalists. Mm-hmm. Not a whole lot of personality coming through on Rust, which brings us to Automaton. Don't mind the Half-Life, guys. You've just heard it here live. Okay, you yeah, have. Sorry. <laughs> I just love Crash Diet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brings us to Automaton. I think there has been a huge step up in, in his performance on this album. I think he still doesn't have as much character as the uh, the other vocalists, but um, I think his his performance here is way better and way more distinctive than it was on the previous album. So he's really come into his own and, and feels more comfortable here. Also, the music itself to me feels more focused. This is a much heavier, a much more metal. There's a little some like electronic bits here and there, but whereas the last album was sort of lashing out in all these different directions, this seems like they're just straight down the line here's some heavy hair metal songs I think Automaton is fucking great I think it is a huge return to form I don't think it's as good as Rest in Sleeves or Generation Wild or maybe even that Garish album from early earlier this year but it is right below that I have been absolutely caning this album since we got the promo for it yeah I, I love this is this doing anything for you Carlo? well I mean you said it's below the Garish one the Garish uh-huh. one did nothing for me really right. and I have no idea who these guys are and as you know I'm not a hair metal guy <laughs> But this has broken through the fine barrier, Josh. (laughs) I did it! I mean, it just hits you right out of the gate with a big one-two punch and damn, if you don't want to play this loud as fuck whilst driving around in a, in a new car. Like, the, the ballads are, are boring, so they don't do much for me, but the rest of it is pretty good and, yeah, I'm, I want to listen to it more. Carlo, you've made me so happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you like this, listen to Generation Wild. Yeah, and I think that is, is a, a good comparison because, yeah, this is a far more metal album than the last few and what Mm. um, their contemporaries have been doing like some of the songs have just straight up like Metallica style thrash breaks in the middle of them I think it's either (laughs) Dead Crusade or Darker Mind something has like a big four horsemen stomp in the middle of it the the ballads there's there's only one real ballad isn't there the last one I can't move on what's Uh, the other ballad track I feel like three maybe like Four or five tracks in, they like it's not a ballad ballad, but it's moving it's the softer stuff. It's moving in that direction, yeah. 
because I Can't Move On is is a ballad ballad <laughs> and it is my my one tick against the album not because I think it's a bad song uh, people who were listening to last month's podcast will know I've been through a massive fucking breakup recently <laughs> I can't take this it's like this album's <laughs> great and it finishes with this uplifting this, we die hard and we will be unbroken there's all this message yeah. of resilience and then there's a song at the end where he's sad because he misses his girlfriend and she, if she just come back he'd be alright I have listened to that song once <laughs> and then was like nope we are ending the album early I Fair cannot enough. take that um, I'm so happy you like this it's actually cool. accomplished yeah check it out if, if you're interested in checking this out I mean Together Whatever the opener's a great song but I think Shine On is the real standout track too yep. that, they haven't released that as a single and I have no idea why because to me that well, is that's just, just dumb isn't it that is immediately an yeah. old timer yeah so check this out and if you like it go back and listen to Generation Wild and Rest in Sleaze it's, it was all worth it we can cancel the podcast now Kylo <laughs> likes hair metal <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go to Rammstein with Zeit. Rammstein. So this might be another sort of uh, conversion job because I was a big Rammstein fan for a long time, but they were more, they were a bit of a gateway band for me, a very formative mm-hmm. band that sort of led me into more extreme metal and were a staple when I was discovering things myself. So I have been a long time Rammstein fan. Actually, I'm, I'm going to tell my how I got into Rammstein story. <laughs> um, okay. Let's hear it. Yeah. I, I, well, I also heard Du Hast um, mm-hmm. because it was on, it was on the Matrix soundtrack and I was at a house party when I was in grade five. So I was, like 11 years old and there was just there was a group of guys sitting on a trampoline that had like a a, a boombox and the Matrix soundtrack and they just put Do Hast on repeat and then would not let anyone change the song for the entire night so <laughs> that was that was actually my first exposure to Rammstein which I'm just saying with varying German accents because it's fun um, but no my actual like first conscious encounter with Rammstein is the first movie I ever went and saw on my own like without parental accompaniment I went and saw the uh, what year is it hang on i'm gonna say 2003 based on how old i was oh i was a year off uh the 2002 vin diesel classic triple x right another very formative piece of media for me um i was i was gonna say 2013 because i thought i was 13 at the time but if it's 2002 i would have been 12 i was googling to find out what year it was and i'm typing in triple x film into google i'm like no i can't do that Have you seen uh, Vin Diesel's Triple X color? No. Right. This movie opens with a Ramstein concert. There is a an underground, right. like I think they're their Russian gangster club that everyone gets into, and the band on stage have mohawks and they're dripping. They've got all this stuff all over them, and then halfway through the song, they put on gas masks, which creeped me the fuck out because I was there. I'm 12. I'm in the theater by myself, and and I'm watching these guys in this gangster club put on these masks. I'm like, I have made a huge mistake. I need an adult. (laughs) (laughs) I was like genuinely panicking. And and then they shoot fire out of the thing. And then the guy climbs up on stage. There's like a James Bond dude going through the thing. And he gets up on stage because he's trying to get the signal. And they shoot him. And he dies. And they crowd surf the body around. Yeah, it was. And then I, after that scene, I relaxed. And the movie ruled. And I watched it like 30 times after that because I got it on DVD. But um, that was my first exposure to Rammstein. And then later on, I'm like, oh, they're they're the two Hoss guys. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but my passion for them has sort of waned in the last few years in that there was the 10 year gap between albums and then they came back and I, I wasn't hugely on board with the last album, but you haven't really paid that much attention to them, I, I gather. That's right. Yeah. I know Du Hast and I listened to the last album in full when it came out and I thought that one was fine. Like it was right. pretty good. You've done them a sugar thing because again, <laughs> that's, I think that one has its fans, but for me, it was a real step down from their, their earlier material. It's a, the, the first four. The mm-hmm. Muda is the one. That's the classic. If you're going to get in store and Ramstein, listen to Muda. It's great. Um, and then the Libra is Falander. That was the last one before the break, which was they went in more of like a big stadium rock sort of direction with that, just like big songs. Right. I think that album is really underrated. I think I think it's really good. So that one and then the first three, I think uh, you call Ramstein releases and the rest I'm sort of like iffy about. So yeah, but Ramstein. So going into this album, it's sort of, yeah, they, they had 10, 10 years before the last one, which got sort of a mixed response and then mm. immediately they're just I guess with the pandemic they couldn't tour it so like well let's bam another album we have Zeit which is again it's sort of in line with the last album but a pretty big departure from the the classic Ramstein sound like that that stomping industrial thing that they're known for you do husks and whatnot mm. I don't think it's soft all the time but softer in aggregate um, and yep. a more varied album than what they're known for so much like with Meshuggah's Immutable I don't think this is particularly representative of, of their um, back catalogue uh, but as the new listener who doesn't have all the baggage of Triple um, X um, and stuff, how, how are you feeling about Zai? I thought it was pretty boring. Right. Uh, like there were there were moments that were good. Angst stands out as a pretty really cool song. Yep. But the, it sort of filters, sorry, flitters between either being fairly sort of straight ahead riffing and like it sounds it sounds alright, but doesn't do enough. There's not enough variation to the softer and more experimental and more variable side of the sound. But and whilst I appreciate the variety, the the quality is not as compelling to me when they venture into that that territory. And so. So, yeah, I, it comes out just being fine at best. Although I do, I do think this would be cool to see live, um, but it's not grabbing me on record. Yeah, no, I, I saw Ramstein live when they because I don't know if it's the only time they played in Australia, but the last time they played in Australia was they headlined or well, they were the second build. It was them and Tool were the headliners of uh, the Big Day Out Festival. Um, so that right. that was that was a good time um, with with both of them back to back. Yeah, and they were. I mean, they they had the big penis that shoots the foam and the fire and the dead baby hanging from the roof and the guy who comes out and he lay him on fire and they weld him like it was crazy and then my, my friend who uh, from high school uh, who does not listen to death metal and sort of our ongoing relationship was I thought she should listen to more death metal and, and she thought I uh, should shut the fuck up about death metal and listen to Lady Gaga um, and in retrospect uh, she was right but um, yeah, I was going to say I feel like she made more progress on that fight than you did yeah well I had a big crush on her so you know um, <laughs> but no but she was there that day and then like came up it was like oh my god that's the raddest shit I've ever seen and next time they come we have to go and all of this so yeah definitely just the spectacle of it um, mm. um, having said that then Tool came on and, and just blew them off the stage by virtue of being Tool so it's not it's not all spectacle um, though I also realised in retrospect so Ramstein is Battering Ram It's and they're named after an airfield where there was the crash but they're also Ramstein and they sing about penises so you have the Battering Ram and then they were followed <laughs> 
employed by Tool. So I realized on that, I saw two bands essentially called Penis. Headlining <laughs> in this massive festival. Back to the album itself. Yeah, I, Angst, you're definitely right to point out Angst. Um, by far the best track on the album, I think. And the one yep. that has most in line with their older trademark sound. But I don't think it's good just because it's comfort. I think it's good because it's just a, a perfectly crafted song. Well, actually, I don't think it's the best song on the album. I think it's the second best song because I think the best song is Lugan, but we'll get to that. But I think when we were talking about whether last time um, at the end of last episode, whether you were interested in covering this, you said, yeah, because like the industrial trend that's going around at the moment, you've been liking industrial stuff. So this would be interesting. Mm. This is not a particularly industrial album. No. And I think you definitely see like the industrial that's influencing things in hardcore and metal at the moment is not Ramstein style industrial. That is Godflesh yeah. is the root of that. Godflesh and maybe ministry, but Ramstein is much more 90s ravey. Um, yep. It's a lighter sound. And I think you you heard that coming through on the the last album, the, the self-titled, the untitled. When they did go into those techno parts, it just felt a bit dated and flimsy. I think the mm. electronics work better here, but it does sort of sound behind the time still. To relate it to Meshuggah again, like Coloss, when Coloss came out, the narrative around that is like, well, how are they going to, there's all these gent bands now, like how are they going to stack up? And then I think they dropped Coloss and just absolutely annihilated everyone. Right. And even now, like, yeah, the, the Meshuggah album's not great, but they're just heavier and nastier than all these gent bands. Like there's a real difference in just level. Whereas, yeah, you hear this compared to something like the Code Orange album. And it's like, okay, you, you guys are not, you're a legacy act at this point, which they're not pretending not to be, right? This yeah. album's called Zion. Agreed. It's all about time. But I, I think they are doing some more interesting stuff here. Cause yeah, my, my favorite song is Lugan, uh, which is the one with the auto tune. Did this stand out to you at all, Carlo? Not really. Right. Uh, is this like the 10 minute long instrumental where it's a real glaring deviation uh, that just passed you by or just you noticed <laughs> no, it that do, didn't stand out? Like I do remember it because it was sort of a lot one of really mellow and soft um, to begin with. So I like the idea more than the execution, I think. Right. I mean, for me, I think that the execution of this is perfect where it just sort of as he gets more intense, and more angry, it gets like more electronic and, and inhuman. Mm. The standout track off the last album, which dependent seems to be a, a general consensus the people who like it and even the people who weren't that big on the last album like me is, is Pupa from the last album um, was the clear standout which was sort of this yeah dark build up song about I think it's about a girl listening to her sister get molested in the room next door um, so you know Ramstein do stuff like right. that yeah. Um, whereas yeah Lugan here sounds to me like a continuation of that and that's where I think this album is exciting because there's sort of oh we're going to do soft songs for no reason whereas mm. um, something like Lugan I think brings that in but keeps the Ramstein element to it and also brings in those electronic stuff and does something with them. So I wish there was a bit more in that. I mean, for me in general, again, like with um, Meshuggah, I think the second half of this album is way stronger and more engaging than the first, Agreed. especially they start off with with uh, three soft songs in a row, which I don't think that's a great decision. But weirdly, Agreed. the thing with uh, the last album is you had a really strong first half of the album and then it tailored off here. You have like a sort of slow lead in. I think once it hits like, okay, and even Z Zigzag, which I hated as a single, but here in the context of the album, it kicks in. I'm, I'm sort of like, oh, Rammstein. Okay. Here, I think that the second half works. So what I've done is I made a playlist where I got the first half of the last album. I got the second <laughs> half of this album. And then I get the last song, or Adieu, which is this big goodbye song. I think this uh, this last song has to be the opener. I know they're saying goodbye, but they, they are, this album's also about time. And they had a video clip where they everything was moving backwards and they put the babies back inside the womb. Right. So I think it plays into the themes. If you get goodbye and put 
put it at the start. But yeah, I think Adieu, Adieu is the is another standout that I, I think works really well as an opener. So I've been getting that, put it at the front, then you have the first half of the last album, last half of this album, and Carlo, you got a real good album. All right. You know, I don't expect them to hold off on releasing these albums, but like, I will wait till we write the better second half next time. But <laughs> both these albums are, I think, in uneven of themselves but in um aggregate uh yeah there's there's quite quite some quality material here before we move on to the special guest how do you feel about dick air titan uh i can't remember it. oh god damn it, hello. <laughs> you're if you're gonna if you're banking on me remembering individual tracks then you're asking for trouble the, the song called dick titties didn't stand out to you because <laughs> i got the, the album and i looked at it and i saw the track list and i went ah <laughs> It doesn't mean dick titties. It, this is big titties, right? That's German, but they're also <laughs> Ramstein. They know what it looks like. This is this is their equivalent of Pussy. You, you, you know the song Pussy? That's their other big song that's not Duhast. Nope. Okay. Uh, off Libras for Allendale. That was the last album before the break. Uh, so 2009. The lead single from that uh, is a song called Pussy, which was sung in English. Um, they they filmed a, a video clip for it that was, I think it debuted on Pornhub or something. It was essentially, it was a porn. Um, and the chorus... <laughs> I'm going to sing the chorus to Pussy now. It goes, you have a pussy. I have a dicker. So what the problem? Let's do it quicker. That is the chorus to Pussy. Uh, this song was huge. And that is the song they end all their uh, concerts with while Till rides a giant penis cannon that shoots foam all over the audience. Sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> it, was, it was a good time. Um, this is the equivalent of that. And, and I think it's real cool. I think it works. It's got the mariachi beat at the front. I don't know. The first time I listened to this album, I was a bit, I had your sort of reaction I'm like, oh, it's a bit all over the place. It's a bit thin. I don't know what's doing. I mm. have found myself far more compelled to come back to this than the last record. And I found it growing on me with repeated listens. So I'd call it a success, if not a standout from their discography. But um, yeah, if, if you're new Fair to Ramstein like Carlo is, I would not start here. Go back, check out Mutter. All right. Special guest time. Special guest time. I realize I've been talking a lot and we have a, a more Josh-leaning lineup this month than I, um, stuff Carlo is, is normally into. Although every tech death band that didn't release an album last year is releasing an <laughs> album in June. So we will get there. June is Carlo time. <laughs> Yeah, so the, the point there being, where, where do you want to start with special guests? I'll let you uh, take the take the helm here. Well, let's go with Ocean Grove and Ocean Up in Grove. the Air forever. Right, this is going to be a me talking a lot one, so I'll let you start. <laughs> yeah, so I really enjoyed this. Oh, album. okay, here we go. I thought, I thought it was super fun, <laughs> pop punk, uh, and I like skimmed a few reviews, which were mm-hmm. pretty damn scathing. Uh, oh, okay. And so this is, this is my first time listening to Ocean Grove, and uh-huh. so from what I could gather... They used to be heavy and now everyone's mad that they're poppy, but coming in with no expectations and just taking it for what it is, I think it's really catchy, really lighthearted, easy listening, like road trip material. Okay, I am shocked. This is, you like this and Crash Diet. We're, we're having a uh, crazy week here <laughs> or a crazy month. I guess we do these monthly. I haven't I haven't looked at any of the other reviews for this, so I'm surprised to hear it's getting scathed because they're, they're a band, they're an Australian band. They're, their profile has been increasing noticeably over the last few years. And th- I've seen a lot of promotion based around the release of this album and I've seen their name everywhere since. So I sort of assumed it was getting, you know, a good response. I, I have to say I am one of the Detroit Tractors. I do not like this album. I think it's a pretty big disappointment mm. for a few reasons, and a lot of that has to do with the context of where they ca- where they came from. And it's not that they're less heavier. I think they've got less interesting. Right. So to let's start rather than doing the crash chart thing, let's start and work backwards. 
this um did you listen to or were aware of the turnstile album holiday that came out last year was it called holiday what was it called the, with the pink cover was it definitely last year yeah glow on it was called holiday was the ep that came with it nope okay so this was a you will have heard the song oh is, is maybe the song is holiday you will have heard the song holiday if you turn on triple j ever right so turnstile were a really exciting hardcore band they released film time and space that is like half an hour long and does crazy hardcore with a lot of like different influences and stuff uh it's really good i liked it and then the follow-up glow on they released and it didn't really do anything for me they dropped a lot of the hardcore stuff and to me it's not just the pink cover glow on is the deaf heaven of um hardcore in that, right. that last deaf heaven album got rid of all the interesting extreme metal and just went into sort of bland post-punk and glow on mm. sort of did the same thing for me whereas they were trying to be more interesting by moving away from hardcore and they lost that sort of core sound for me and it just came off a bit fluffy right fair enough that is all to say this album up in the air uh forever by ocean grove to me feels like a huge response to glow on it's them trying to do glow on right and it's them trying to do glow on and that june rats album which i can tell by the song what sounds like june rats featuring june rats <laughs> <laughs> Real subtle. Yeah. So now we go back. Ocean Grove started off as a straight up new metal band. Okay. For, I don't know if it's their first album. I think of it as, as, an, as an EP. They had an EP or a mini album called Black Label. Sounds like modern new metal, very Kane Hill, that that sort of style. Then they released what I'm calling their, their first proper debut album, The Rhapsody Tapes, uh, which I have been bugging you to listen to for years and in the lead up to this podcast. And you have <laughs> failed me every single time. I think the last time I, I recommended this album to you was uh, after the release of of the last Unbroker album that we both right. uh, quite liked. I have no recollection of you recommending me Ocean Grave ever before, but okay. there we go. It's definitely happened. Uh- <laughs> Um, The Rhapsody Tapes is a really weird, eclectic, experimental album that has a lot of electronic influences. So yeah, if you like this album, and now I'm I'm even further recommending, please listen to uh, The Rhapsody Tapes. Sort of elevator pitch is Comeback Kid meets floaty Deftones with like electronic pop stuff littered throughout it. Um, I don't think it's like amazing. Like it's not the finished product, but there was a lot of potential there and I found myself going back to it like quite frequently. So it was really excited to hear the follow-up to that except in between that album and the next album they released which was flip phone fantasy from 2020 uh one of their members running touch is the name he goes by have you heard of running touch no so Running Touch was just the guitarist from Ocean Grove, but then Running right. Touch is his name. He does pop music now. Uh, fairly fairly middle of the road, modern electronic sort of um, chill right. pop. So he went off to pursue that. And then from what I gather has had quite a bit of success doing that, but from what I've listened to was, was quite dull. So they lost him. And it seems like he was bringing a lot of that interesting experimentation angle to the band because Flip Phone Fantasy was more or less a straight ahead new metal album, but with more of an alt rock influence. Um, but right. really... I didn't like it when it came out, but I've gone back to it a few times and I think like it's an okay album for what it is. It just, you know, disappointed me given my expectations. Mm. Whereas now Up in the Air Forever for me is sort of the the nail in the casket of these guys are moving in the direction I don't want to go in. There's still a bit of new metal on this new album, although I think it's a very distinct brand of new metal, which is to say it is uh, 28 Days style new metal. That is to say that they're lazy and they like to get funky and let it flow and swing like a monkey. You haven't heard that song? I don't know who 28 Days are. Uh, really? Yeah. 
Uh, 28 Days are sort of Australia's response to Limp Biscuit, except right. rather than whatever Limp Biscuit sing about, they sing about getting drunk at the beach. So right. they, have, they have a couple of cool songs. Yeah, I don't know. Up, up in the air forever, it just seems like they've they've moved in a direction I'm not interested in. Um, and the bits that do interest me are those bits that sort of uh, throw back to the Rhapsody type sound, which I think there's a bit more on this album than there was on the last one. But uh, I think Sex Dope Gold is a great song. Uh, that's the the second track, which has a bit mm-hmm. more of a bouncy electronic feel to it. That was the lead single to this, I think. Um, so I heard that and was really excited that this was going to be a return. And then that is sort of an, an outlier on the album. The the other one that uh, stands out to me on this is HMU. Hit me up. That's the, yeah. uh, it has a feature on it, but the, that's like sort of the weird electronic R&B intro track that they just drop in the middle of the album. Yep. Which in the Meshuggah thing sounds like a bit of a jam they did and didn't really flesh out. But I, w- I wish they had. I wish they had taken that and run with it because <laughs> the rest of it to me just sounds like boring alt rock. And there's there's like, they've got a shoe line to go along with this. The shoe that's on the cover, apparently they make and sell those shoes. Oh, really? And look, if right. you like this album, do not read any of the marketing or the press releases around it because uh, it's it's a lot. Cringe. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm shocked to hear you like this. I thought this was so far out of your wheelhouse and I was going to have to apologize for making you listen to it because it didn't sound like <laughs> like the thing that I thought you would like that I wanted us to listen to. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, no, pretty good. All right. Well, yeah, that, that was Up in the Air Forever by Ocean Grove. Where are we going next, color? Audrey Horn and Devil's Bell. All right. I am going to take the lead on this one because... Be my guest. Be my special guest, even. Uh, well, were you aware of Audrey Horn before before this album? Nope. Audrey Horn are a band from, uh, like, a super group made up of uh, uh, members of Enslaved and Gorgoroth. I think the Gorgoroth guys left and it's the lead guitarist from Enslaved and, like, other people from uh, Scandinavian extreme metal bands getting together mm-hmm. to play heavy metal or rock and roll. Yep. I think it's their second or third album, but their self-titled album uh, from 2010, which I think is a double album and it's, it's kind of proggy. Uh, that album is really cool. I like it a lot. So that's that's where I got into the band. Then they went in a bit more of a hard rock direction, very Thin Lizzy influenced over their next few albums. Um, and then they released the album before this one, Blackout in 2018, which I did review for Heavy Blog. I really like that album. I think that's mm-hmm. where they found their sound and really locked into like stadium heavy metal style stuff. That is an album that I thought was pretty good at the time it came out and just have found myself going back to it so regularly like when I just want something kind of cool kind of rocking to listen to like that's the album I go to a lot so this is the follow-up to that Devil's Bell now Carlo you like Iron Maiden quite a bit yeah 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 so you must fucking love this right Uh, well, I hate to break it to you, Josh, but I, this one is struggling to get through the fine barrier for me. But it fucking rocks. <laughs> it sounds so, like Iron Maiden. <laughs> there's a lot of Iron Maiden influence on it, yes. Uh-huh. Now, in saying that, like, Iron Maiden is the exception to the rule for me. Right. Uh, in that I'm not really a big trad heavy metal guy, um, mm-hmm. but I just really like them. And here, this, of all the albums... This is probably the one I listened to the most. Oh, wow. Because, okay. because it took me that long to figure out whether I liked it or not. Uh- <laughs> I thought you were going to say to like wrap my head around. I'm like, no, what are you doing, Carlo? Like, this is, this is, this is an album you listen to. You go, I am into this or not. Like, it's very explicit in what it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I will preface my, my saying that it's struggling to get through the fine barrier by saying that I do think that this is a good album for the genre it's in. And, mm-hmm. 
I think there are some really strong moments on here. The melodies are catchy, the tones are fun and nostalgic, and I think it's more a reflection of my personal taste rather than the quality of the music on show. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I probably would have uh, stuck this in the supports rather than the special guests if, A, it wasn't that good. Like, I think this is a very good album. Mm. But also that, like, you're, you're saying Iron Maiden, the, the exception to the rule, but this is not a heavy metal-influenced album. This is an Iron Maiden-influenced album. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, and this shit's all over, like, the last three or four Iron Maiden albums, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. That, that last one Raised, needs to be... Uh, that was horrendous. Erased. I can't believe they released that. The lead tone makes me want to kill myself. Yes. Um, yeah. Whereas you listen to this, the opening of Ashes to Ashes, the first song, there's this like... Uh, Ashes to Ashes is a banger. Yeah, and it, st- it starts off sounding like that. that's the death tone. That's Sound of Perseverance, death um, yep. scale and tone. And then it goes into Iron Maiden rocking. I do think this, is a, this album is a little bit like one note. So yeah, if you're not digging that one note all the way through, you're not going to like it. Whereas um, uh, Blackout, the last one that I really liked, was a lot more varied. Mm. Whereas this seems like they're doubling down on that heavy metal sound. And it's a much darker album as well. I mean, as well, sounding like death. Like it's, we got Dance Macabre and Devil's Bell. Like they're getting into death and shit. Yep. I do think I do think this picks up around Dance Macabre and, and Devil's Bell and All Is Lost. I think the second half of this album is, is pretty uh, strong. Although I do see if you're sort of over that sound by the time you get there, then it doesn't really matter. But yeah, I think this is another solid release from Audrey Horn, who I, I just think they're really underrated. Like they've been so good for so long and I was hoping this might be a bit of a breakthrough for them given some of the momentum, but uh, you're not feeling it. So yeah, that, that's uh, that's Audrey Horn. I recommend it. Carlo maybe doesn't. I, I think it's definitely worth a listen. Um, I think it's definitely worth a listen. If you are a fan of Summerlands, uh, which was the point I made in the, in the Slack the other day, do, do you do Summerlands? Never heard of them. Okay, so Summerlands are a, like a, they sound like this, which is the point I'm making, but like a throwback heavy metal band. Uh, their lead guitarist is Arthur Risk, who is producing all the good things at the moment. He did the last Soulfly and Cavalera Conspiracy albums, and he did some co- stuff with Code Orange. He's like a big name producer at the moment. All the mm. thrash bands that sound like Power Trip and maybe even Power Trip um so right. yeah they're his band and they put out um some lands yeah self-titled album in uh 2016 which i discovered a few years ago and was like oh my god this is amazing and then came running into the blogs like guys guys have you heard this and then everyone in the blog was like yeah man like it is a um a bit of a cult release among heavy blog of just like this is summer lands um and then they finally put out they put out like a two-track single like last week or something it's like the only other new music they've made so people were talking about that on the slack and i was like guys guys if you like this listen to Audrey Horn and then Eden was like yeah I'm not really that into it so maybe it's just me but yeah I think this album rocks all right where to next color next we have Crown Compass with The Drought Crown Compass uh who are a new band this is their debut they are made Mm -hmm. up of let me get the lineup here former members of Textures Exivius and Cynic Fame Yes, although I think it's one of those deals where like one guy was in three of those bands. Uh, there's a few from Textures, and then I think there were a couple that were in Exivius together, one of which was also in Cynic briefly. Robert Zilhorst, I'm pretty sure, on bass, he was in Cynic. Right, so I thought it was only the vocalist who was from Textures, but it's the guitar vocalist and guitarist from Textures, and then um, bass and drums from Exivius and uh, Cynic, and I think one of the guys played in Pestilence as well. So, you know, pretty uh, good pedigree there. Yeah. This could be a new Textures album. Uh, are you 
you were you ever into textures? Um, I I got into their last album uh, or their last couple. Did they do like a double album? I think they were meant to do a double album, and then they never released the second part. I uh, never got to the other one. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, I thought Phenotype was my introduction to them, um, and I've never gone back. But I thought Phenotype was cool. I, I have a similar story in that I, I knew who they were and I listened to them, but I wasn't really into them. And Phenotype came out and I loved it. Um, and yeah, that that was sort of my gateway into them. I've since gone back. I don't love the one before Dualism that seems to get all the attention, but some of their earlier stuff, like uh, Silhouettes in particular, I think is really cool. But yeah, right. Ph- Phenotype was the one for me, and I'm disappointed that we never got the follow up to that. I think Genotype was meant to be the other one well then i i think we could call this album genotype uh because it sounds like textures so uh with with some notable differences that we'll get to but before we get mm-hmm. into that uh color unlike audrey horn and ocean grove that i was expecting you maybe not to be on board with i i thought this might be right on your alley what's how are you feeling about the drought i was similarly optimistic uh-huh and it has broken through the fine barrier i do <laughs> like it uh but i'm not sure i like it enough to land on my list right um, so yeah it is similar most similar to textures when you when looking at the the other bands that the members have been involved with i think it sort of sits pretty comfortably under a general sort of prog umbrella um but there's a good dose of thrash thrown in and a good dose of alice in chains style alt metal um for me a lot of the sort of quieter parts really reminded me a lot of uh, AIC, which is a great thing in my book because I love them. So yeah, that's that's me. What about you? Um, yeah, I, I really like this. Um, this immediately broke through my fine barrier, though maybe I have a, a thinner fine barrier than some people. <laughs> the thrash thing definitely stood out to me. We'll, we'll come back to that. I'm No, let's do the thrash thing now. Yeah, um, I guess, yeah, this sounds like textures and I think is is prog prog metal, like in the progiest prog metal form. Like it's doing, mm. doesn't really sit in a, in a subgenre so much. Kind of like more streamlined between the buried and main parts. Um, but not really. I did not get that at all. They're not as wacky, but just sort of mm. like it's not mathcore, but it, it's doing a lot of sort of, uh, you know, fretboard mm. gymnastics rather than yep. um, spacey prog tones. Um, it's fast, I guess, is what I'm saying, which brings us to the, the thrash parts, fast. which probably also got me on board. There's And they openly acknowledge like, yes, this is a thrash influenced album. It's not just me going, oh, look, there was a riff, therefore it's thrash. But I think it is a very particular kind of thrash metal because the thrash metal on this reminds me so specifically of that debut Meshuggah album we were talking about earlier. All right. Well, it is very much like sort of techno thrash, yeah. 90s, 90s style. Yeah. On the, the first um, heavier song here, Assidious, um, the, the thrash break in that sounds like the opening track of uh, Constitution's Collapse. So that's an album that I really like that I think is often overlooked and underrated. So I'm like sort of glad to see it coming through here um, and mm. being extrapolated on. I, I was surprised to hear the Alice in Chains comparison because I did not get that comparison at all and when I think of the softer parts they're very sort of soft and floaty whereas I think of Alice in Chains as like dark and sludgy oh not so much sludgy but I got dark because I think my my one complaint about this album well I, I have two one is that it's too long but that feeds Agreed. into my uh, second complaint which is there's too much soft stuff on it having starting off this album with a four minute long acoustic um, track I think is a huge mistake because there are so many people who are going to turn the album off before 
I even hear like what it sounds like. Mm. But also, yeah, it's four minutes is way too long for a soft acoustic intro that then gets reprised twice throughout the record. Like it should have been like a minute and a half intro and then into the, the guts of it. Uh, I didn't have an issue with the intro right. being as long as it was. I do think the record as a whole was too long. I agree with you there. And I agree that they, if they want to grab attention, an acoustic intro on your debut is not the way to do it. I, it really is the four minutes for me because it, like, it becomes its own song, but then it's not like mm. representative of the album. And yeah, it comes back. There, There's an acoustic reprise, there's seashells on the sand, and then there is a three-minute reprise of the intro track to end the album. So if it is going to be this theme, I didn't think it needed to be its its own thing. And because of those reprises, like, yeah, we get through to, uh, yeah, track six. And I don't know how long it's been by then, but we've had like three or four, five, six, seven-minute long, like dense prog metal songs. Mm. And at that point, I almost feel like, oh, the album's over. And then the acoustic intro like starts again. And then you get right. hit with two nine-minute songs. And it's like, <laughs> this is almost like two albums, you know? It's it, um, So I think there could have been a bit of streamlining there. But uh, yeah, this is really cool. I If it makes my end of year list, it will probably be lower down. But um, mm. I'm really excited by, yeah, the Meshuggah influence on this. And um, yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah, I like the idea of it. And I look forward to where they go next. Yeah, because yeah, I was really disappointed that I finally got into Textures and I think they released their best album and then they just immediately broke up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Said. We do on the Spirit next. Mm-hmm. Clarity and Galactic Structures. Yeah, this came out last week, I think. And the elevator pitch on this, which I don't know if there's much more to say, but we'll find out soon, is this sounds like if after The Sound of Perseverance, Death went and released a black metal album. And I think it's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, agreed. Um, All right, on to King Gizzard in the list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, look, I don't think this is going to land on my list, but... It's solid. It's definitely worth a few listens. The main riff on Repression hits super fucking hard, and I love that song. But the yeah, not nothing groundbreaking. Um, I'm just listening to Repression now. Is that the one that's literally uh, Crystal Mountain? Uh, let me re-listen as well. Nah, hang on. I'm going to find it. Now it's the next song, Celestial Fire. Or is it? I don't know. I can't find it, but there is one song on here where the, the main riff is, is just Crystal Mountain. <laughs> right. So we're not being facetious when we say this, uh, this sounds like death. <laughs> This might be one where I say it's thrash metal because there's riffs, but there is a real like sort of, yeah, urgency, like speed to this that I don't think death have, whereas death get more lost in the technical sort of chunky groove. This yeah. sort of hits a riff and just like takes off sort of in the same way that Kavayan album did a bit. But the black metal, it reminds me of, and I'm bringing them up because I brought, I think I brought them up in relation to Kavayan as well, is that that Nagelfire album I was telling you about the, the other week. Right. I just, I didn't realize like how distinct that album was or how much it buried itself in my, my head but there is a specific tone or something that seems to be floating around in the room that, that for me is just so tied to that Nagelfire record, which is called Harvest from 2007 for people listening. Um, so yeah, this sounds like that mashed up with, yeah, like um, symbolic era death. I, I think this is great. I think this might wind up ending up somewhere on my, my end of year list because it is sort of that one note thing. Like mm. we, we don't have much to say about it because it sounds like death doing black metal, but I think this is done so well. Yeah, agreed. Check it out. Yeah, it's a lot of bands doing that death thing. But like, like if this was the next death album, like it would be perfectly in line with everything else they'd done. So, and I, I actually think there is there is more variation in the songwriting on this than on death albums. I think I we made I, I made the joke or a reference somewhere that like I went and learned a bunch of death songs on guitar and bass for a while, and they literally all follow the same pattern. You have like a cool intro riff, then you get a you get a verse riff, a chorus riff, 
first riff, chorus riff, stop, bass break, based on some weird pattern. And then they come <laughs> in with solos and then you get a return and they just repeat. And that is since human, that is the, the thing. And it works because death of the best. Whereas here, um, there's a lot more, I guess, complex or varied, varied song structures going on. So yeah, if you like death, check this out. All right. So now we move to the best band name of all time and King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, Omnium Gatherum. I don't know if it's the best band name of all time, though I do think uh, the title of their their thrash album, the Infest the Rat's Nest, I really like that. So they're definitely doing something <laughs> with the word. Yeah, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Uh, we're, we're, we're both from Melbourne, so by default, we, we have to like these guys, apparently. I never really did. Me either. Yeah, they're doing psychedelic garage rock, not really my thing, um, until they did the thrash metal album, Infest the Rat's Nest, uh, which I thought was really good. I feel um, like you need to say that with... To the rats pronunciation from Ghost's rats. song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> rats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I went and checked, oh, they're doing they're doing a thrash metal album. It, it was real good. Um, and then since releasing that, they've released like 19 other albums, but uh, two of those were, uh, they did like a double or companion album, which was KG and LW. So they had King Gizzard and, and Lizard Wizard um, mm-hmm. that were a bit more, had like a sludgy Black Sabbath sort of stoner doom vibe to them. Not everywhere, but a bit heavier, a bit darker. And I thought they were interesting and cool, but didn't grab me as much. And then this one comes out. It's called Omnian Gathering. It's got a cover that looks like it's the new Gorod album or something. So I thought, mm-hmm. all right, I'm going to check this out. And I listened to the singles and I thought they were pretty cool. I think this album is pretty cool. It has some major drawbacks. I'm overall digging it. That's my little teaser. We'll get into what I think about it. But Carlo, have I destroyed your soul with this? And do you never want to talk to me again? And when the podcast is cancelled? Uh, the pod is not cancelled. <laughs> But I continue to not understand this band. Uh, so there's there's a lot of variety on display, as is to be expected at this point from King Giz. So we've got, I mean, like Gaia and Predator X are almost like death thrash songs, really. And then we've got some hip hop at times, like Sadie Sorceress or Sadie Sor- Sorceress, Weird Flutes on Grim Reaper and a whole bunch of other wacky stuff. And so to me, I like the idea of this band and I even do think think that the songwriting is pretty good but the tones they use and just the aesthetic and vibe they go for just doesn't do anything for me and they epitomize a jack of all trades but a master of none i feel like they're solid at every genre they try their hand at but they will never be my go-to for any of those genres yeah cop that king gizzard you just got owned by carlo (laughs) heavy blog reviewer slams king gizzard (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's very like talking to the eclecticism i think this is the most sort of like they do what they did the thrash album they do the psychedelic album they do everything like that's sort of their thing right yeah and like you're talking about master uh, jack of all trades i think this is the album at least uh, that i've heard where they they bring everything together like it's doing all it's doing all of that but it's doing it all at once rather than segmenting it of here is the thrash metal here is the thing so for me i think that makes this a much stronger collection than when I've tried to dabble in some of their other stuff. Although I did like, like Predator X sounds so close to like Planet B off Infest the Rat's Nest that mm. because of that eclecticism, I did stop the first time I listened to this and look it up and be like, is this a best of? Like it's called Omnium Gatherum. I'm like, is this a compilation? Because it's, it's all over the place. And I think who, I can't remember. Someone wrote this up for the, the editor's picks that just went out yesterday, describing it as an hour and a half of genre agnostic experimentations gone from going from groove metal and prog rock to hip hop trip hop and soul and and you mentioned some of the stuff there but for everything 
that's going on. I think this is a like this is a psychedelic stoner metal album. I find it as much as there's there's all this um, yeah. different things. I think it has that core, and that core is is much heavier and darker than anything else they've done outside of the thrash metal, album, uh, which is why I I think this is really cool. I've been going back to this a bunch. It does seem to have been the one to convert a lot of listeners. Mm. Um, like I've seen a few people in my circle where they've always wanted to get into them, they haven't been able to, and here it's clicking for them. Um, unfortunately, I'm just not yeah. one of those people. Uh, well, I, I think I might be with some uh, a few reservations. Yes, this is this is way too long mm-hmm. and sort of repetitive. Like they have a lot of refrains and there's the woo that they bring back all the time. But by the twentieth time <laughs> you've heard that, you're like, why don't you just write one good woo song? So I think they could cut it down. <laughs> Beginning with this this eighteen minute song, we were complaining. I was complaining uh, about the four minute acoustic thing. Starting the album off with an eighteen minute jam song. Why? <laughs> That that just needs to straight up be cut. Yeah. I listened to that once and then have skipped it every single time, mostly because Magenta Mountain Track 2 is great and a great opener. But like the Dripping Tap sort of needs to be its its own EP. It's sort of this album in 18 minutes. Mm. Putting it on there and putting it at, tra- like it maybe if it was at the end, if this album ended with an 18 minute jam and like, here's everything we've been doing through the album, just now we're going off the rails. But and, and they're putting that up front to be antagonistic and, and weird and cool. But yeah, no, you cut that. Too hipster for me. I mean, this before I listened to it and went, oh, this is actually pretty cool. We should actually talk about this. Is this this could have been a uh, cool people pick for this uh, this yep. week? Turns out though, I I actually like it. And yeah, yeah, Gaia and Predator X are the the metal songs, but there there is a heavier, darker undertone through all of this. So yeah, if you're into like stoner metal stuff, like stuff like Monster Magnet and even like Cathedral or Caius, if those bands interest you, this album is definitely worth checking out. Just yeah, skip the first track. All right, onto supports. Onto supports. I think we should begin with Delvoid and their album swarm life because until the spirit came along i had this sitting in special guest because this is another one that i thought uh might be uh something you are into delvoid are a norwegian band i think turns out we uh debuted one of the songs off their previous album on the blog and i gave that a listen sounds nothing like this it's like weird psychedelic like tribal jam rock like closer to king gizzard and the lizard wizard okay this album to me i'm surprised they're from norway because they sound like you know another carnival-y uh band except to me they sound very specifically like the back half of Tool's Enema when they get into those longer floatier songs rather than the riffier ones at the start. So that era of Tool, except with uh, Cedric from At The Drive-In fronting them. That is my elevator <laughs> pitch on that, uh, which I think is a pretty cool combination. Uh, is this doing anything for you, Carlo? Uh, I only had a chance to listen to this once. Right. And it's the only one that I didn't get to listen to with headphones. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was over speakers and... I got a very different impression of it. Like I got the sort of post-rock vibes that you sort of alluded to. Mm-hmm. But for me, this has a lot more of like a stoner rock okay. vibe to it. And Boss Keloid is probably the closest touchstone that I could think of. So in that one lesson, I thought I thought it was pretty good, um, but didn't get through the fine barrier. Yeah, I was very excited about this when I first heard it because just that combination of tooling out the drive. And I definitely, the Boss Colloid comparison makes sense. Just the, the tones to me, like mm-hmm. I can't get it past. Like bands sound like Tool and then bands sound like Tool. And this is definitely the, the second one for me. <laughs> Although having gone back to this album a few times, like it's not, it's not nothing's sticking with me. It's sort of, I, I like the overall vibe, but I don't mm-hmm. think the, the songwriting's there. And because the tracks are about eight minutes long and they do, they do that thing that, what was the album the other week where I said I had to keep checking the 
the songs went on repeat because we just get the chorus. That the one with the cool name. What were they called? Uh, Started with an H. Humanitone. Humanitone. Yeah, I think the same criticisms that we had there could apply here. Yeah, because they often just sort of waffle and then oh, the main riff comes back at the end and it doesn't really have that impact. A lot of the time when I was listening to this, I was like, uh, this is just like a less interesting Humanitone. Right. I, now, I, now I want to listen to Humanitone again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is nowhere near as good as that Humanitone album, but I did really like, yeah, just that sort of weird combination. I think if they cut these down to like, yeah, go go more in the out the drive-in direction and get some punchier four-minute songs, I think, uh, yeah, if they follow this sound up on the next release, it, it could be something pretty cool. Uh, so that was Delvoid. Do we just want to work through the list? Yep. Next up then is Destruction, uh, German thrash legends that uh, a band I, I'm pretty big on. I'm the thrash guy. I wrote an eight track for these guys on the blog. So there's a new Destruction album. The reason why this isn't higher on the list is I didn't think uh, you would be that interested in it. And also Destruction release an album every other year and they all sound the same. So this is more just here for me to go, uh, hey, there's a new Destruction album out. It's pretty good. I do have some thoughts on this, but before I get into them, you said you listened to this. What's your take on Destruction's Diabolical? If you like melodic thrash metal, you will like this. Okay. If you don't, you will not like this. And if you're indifferent, it won't convert you. So. Pretty much. I'm interested to hear the word melodic. They definitely have big choruses and things, but of the sort of German bands and thrash metal in general, they're generally considered, or I consider them in the more extreme category, like leaning towards death thrash. But yeah, they do have those massive choruses. So I, I see where that would come from. Yep. So the thing with Destruction is, yes, they, they literally release an album like every two or three years and have done for the last 30 or 40 years. Mm. They're always pretty good. Um, and every like fourth one is, is really good to great. I thought the last album Destruction released, Born to Perish from 2019, is one of those great ones. A real standout in their catalogue for me. And this one is sort of, I think this is good, but back to that same that same sort of level. I think, yeah, track by track, if you listen to it, it's great. Like Destruction are really good at playing thrash metal, but then listening to this in comparison to Born to Perish, like the songs just don't stand out as much yeah. or anything. I'm in the process of writing this up for a Into the Pit post that I've been trying to publish for months and just my life's gone off the rails. But I, I want to flag this here maybe then i'm having some reservations about some of the uh the lyrics and imagery on this album so the reason we're not talking about the new carpenter brute album that came out is uh if you go and read eden's uh essay about them the use of misogynistic um imagery and violence against women without sort of critique and also yep. putting the band in the, in the place of the thing i found that very convincing agreed so the video for the title track diabolical which is also the opening track on this is has the the band's mascot the the mad butcher he's like going through tinder and he finds a lady and he goes on a date with her and she rejects him so he kills her and cuts her up and butchers her right mm. yeah how original yeah um now i think there is a a difference there between them using this mascot character who's meant to be a monster and look at him doing that versus carpenter Root, where eden's point is he's increasingly putting himself in the position of the aggressor so for mm. me this is just sort of horror imagery being used without any critique but there are there, there's some lyrics throughout this where i don't know how much I'm projecting onto this, but there, there's a song, Last of a Dying Breed, which is all about how, you know, it could be a song about like old school thrashes, but it's also sort of like all oh, these new age snowflakes and they need to just get rid of it. Yeah, yep. you get over themselves. There's some there's some other lyrics throughout this that I will elaborate on in my post, but I just wanted to point that out here because I love thrash metal and it's always had this sort of libertarian lone wolf imagery. That's, there's a song called The Lonely Wolf on here, but, <laughs> which again is just dumb thrash metal shit, but yeah. in the current political climate and especially in light of the pandemic but also the guy from iced earth storming the capital and, and yeah. bear spraying people in the face like this is no longer a theoretical link this is he went and did it yeah so i'm not leveling i'm not saying destruction are you know 
we should be worried about them doing something like that or whatever. It's just, I'm getting a bit tired of this imagery and I'm wondering how much longer we can let it pass without saying, you know, is there an actual ideology here that is worth unpacking? So yeah, all of that to cool. be elaborated on in the next Into the Pit post when I get around to actually finishing it. Um, Want to talk about Cancer Bats? Yeah. Have you, are you familiar with them? I am fan? very familiar with Cancer Bats. Love Cancer Bats. Uh, mm-hmm. Their album Hail Destroyer is an all-timer. Uh, it's great. Seen them live a bunch. They're always incredible. Was very excited for this album. It's down here in supports because it's another Cancer Bats album that sounds like Cancer Bats, but not as good as the other Cancer Bats albums. Right. We have a theme. Yeah. Well, that's sort of, yeah, where, where Destruction and, and all the stuff we talked about last week getting here. Uh, I think this is a pretty good album, but yeah, it, their other albums are really good. And this one is not breaking through the fine barrier for me, which is maybe because this is the first album they've done with their guitarist left. So this is their first album right. without him. They apparently like they all play guitar and they all write the songs together. And so the bass player recorded all the guitars on this album and they've always, always co-written. So it's not like anything major change, but I do think you like, this sounds like Cancer Bats, but not as good. And I didn't know that upon listening to this album the first time. So having found that out retrospectively, I'm like, ah, oh, that sort of explains like that, that spark is missing. Right. I think this is fine. I wasn't expecting you to listen to this. You did. What's your take? TLDR. I also thought this was fine. Uh-huh. Now, so I, I I thought I'd listened to them before. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, I see that I must have had them mixed up with someone else. Because was it every I, time I die? Uh, nope. Okay. Someone else again. Um, but I, yeah, don't know if I've really heard hardcore mixed with like Southern bluesy rock quite so strongly as they they seem to so i thought that was a cool mix although once a few songs in once i sort of came to terms with this is their this is their style then it was just there, there wasn't much groundbreaking within that it was um very much sort of coloring within the lines that they'd drawn so the lines were interesting but the coloring in not so much yeah i mean the senior lead too is the sound is like southern hardcore um which is like a sub sub genre uh, right. of which cancer bats are the poster boys for but that's ironic because they're from northern canada uh so <laughs> calling it southern metal is a bit facetious or misleading i think i'm using facetious wrong yeah again you've done the violent sleep of reason thing the ramstein thing where that's what i mean you've you've come in at the end and this is not this is not the best representation if you are at all interested in this sound yeah hail destroyer their second album is is phenomenal um and then the two or three after that are really great as well yeah the, the one thing i will say though is the opening song is incredible and it is just rage against the machine and i am here for it it is so fucking oh, good yeah, i see that with that link to uh what's with the show the set Wait, what's the band that sound like rage against the machine hardcore um good night alt right what's the song uh, straight yeah, from the yeah. path yep yeah I definitely see a lineage between them and straight for the path I mean I was going to say yeah if, you, if you're interested in this southern hardcore sound like the, the other band that maybe you're thinking of I mentioned every time I die I do a bit of this but um, uh, Maylene and the Sons of Disaster I think their second and third album are really great as well Cans Bats have always been yeah the poster children of this scene and are by far the best if we're excluding every time I die because they do their own sort of thing um, the, the first song which you're saying is great that is like radiate. a yeah Radiate which is a very stock standard um, uh Cancer Bat style song but if you like that Rats from Dead Set on Living is going to blow your head off like this is every Cancer Bats album sounds with a song that sounds like that and this is the worst one of them so Doug this I strongly recommend going in on Cancer Bats they rule cool. even this out even if this album is a bit you know middling for me alright then uh, next up in the sports we have Black Matter Device and their album Autonomous Weapons yep this is going to be really short and sweet for me because Abrasive album is Abrasive so uh-huh. uh yeah really not for me and not my genre so 
I don't really have anything informative to say about this other than I did not like it. Yeah, well, you got let off the hook because this was originally at the top of the uh, special guest. This is one I was really looking forward to because this is their second album, a follow-up to their 2018 album Modern Frenetics, which is, you know, good description there, uh, which I wrote up for the blog, uh, mm-hmm. raving about saying these guys are the next Dillinger. Like, they're, they're the ears to that mathcore sound. Um, mm. Although I think the uh, sticking point with that album or the thing that made it stand out is they also had this really like chunky guitar sound they had these really like beefy sort of yeah j- just chunk to them that um made them stand apart and that that is not here on this album um i actually think the production on this album is really thin and i find that yeah it's lacking that impact that the the first album felt to me so i listened to this sort of once and went oh now now you're, you're missing that you're missing that identity and I, I haven't really gone back to it hence why i spared you and, and dropped it to the supports although i think i think it was jimmy wrote it up for the editor's picks and described it as a love letter to mathcore executed to near perfection and possibly an important tentpole for the ongoing renaissance of mathcore so people are digging it just not not you or me there you go i also did notice every single song starts with the guy going <laughs> it's like every single song <laughs> i like i might want to vary that up a bit I just scared the shit out of my cat who was asleep on the post over there. Um, I also threw in Denzel Curry, Melt My Eyes, See Your Future. Again, this is a follow-up to an album I really liked, which was his album Zoo. Zoo. Um, were you into that one? Yeah, I thought I quite liked it. I thought it was pretty good. I think it might have landed on my list towards the back end. I think I had the same. And then, of course, he sort of broke out a bit in between with the uh, cover of Bulls on Parade he did for Triple That was so fucking cool. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked uh, Zoo. This is a very different album. Mm -hmm. I sort of compare it to uh, like Tupac, where um, Zoo was the all eyes on me, the party album, so we could go and make the interesting album that he wanted to make. Um, Except in the case of Tupac, he went and wrote um, the, God, now I've got to remember the title of that album. Don Cluminati Machiavelli, no, Machiavelli, Don Cluminati, The Seven Day Theory by Tupac, um, which is my favorite Tupac album. Uh, but Tupac went in a much darker and more aggressive direction after his big, cool party album. Whereas, yeah, Denzel Curry's gone in this more floaty, abstract direction, mm-hmm. uh, which I think this album's really good, but it's not really the sound I'm interested in. How, how are you feeling about this one? This one reminded me a bit of To Pimp a Butterfly. Um, okay. And that's one of my favorite hip hop records. So, like, I like the floaty. The, the floaty stuff. I like the female choir voc- type of vocals that were running through quite a few of the songs in the background. Sort of helped play into that kind of vibe for me. So um, yeah, I thought I, I quite enjoy this. It's not. It's definitely not as energetic as Zoo, but I'm enjoying it more than Zoo, I think. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I've stuck this on a couple of times and I find it, it's like cool background music, but like even I think it's a good version of what it is. Mm. Even when I have just had it on the background, I, I think it's too long. Again, it just sort of, it's a bit monotonous. Like this thing you were saying about Audrey Horn. I get halfway through mm. this. I'm like, all right, I get it. Like yep. To Pimp a Butterfly has way more going on. And also I think like there's no King Kunta on this album. Yeah. The one major drawback for me was the T-Pain feature, which like oh, yeah. I don't like auto-tune. So it's, I think it's more just that preference playing out, but I thought that was horrendous and so i enjoy the album a lot more when i get rid of that song should do uh, a remix with till from ramstein and he can come in <laughs> and be like oh to get hit <laughs> 
I didn't know you were that interested in the hip hop stuff, so that is cool. We we could have made that a special guest. All right, and then we have the the biggest artist to release um, something this month, uh, even bigger than Rammstein or Meshuggah or whoever. Uh, we have Kirk Hammett, one and only. Of course, the the lead guitarist of Metallica, doing his solo EP Portals, which is sort of a Western themed. Like he does do some shredding in their solos, but it is more like a, a Western movie soundtrack sort of vibe than a here's him like just shredding. Mm. Um, what are you making of this? It was fine. Like, it was pretty good. Probably, I, I had very low expectations and it wasn't as bad as I was, well, it wasn't bad, which I was probably expecting it to be. Um, although one thing that I did find a bit funny was the brass elements were really close to the Star Wars theme, I felt, on a number <laughs> of occasions. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, no, I, I'm in agreement. I mean, I wasn't expecting much from this, which is weird because I don't think anyone was expecting much from this. And it's like, like Kirk Hammett isn't fucking great and isn't one of the best guitar players ever like yeah, people can talk about oh he uses his wah pedal or whatever it's like you go write the solo for fade to black or nothing else matters and come back all right like this guy rules so i don't know why i thought or people think like he wouldn't be able to pull it off i mean maybe it's more that it's that that western soundtrack thing where it's like oh how's that gonna work i think this works really well and i wish this was the soundtrack to an actual movie i think that would be very cool mm. i think this would work well as like one of these is the intro to metallica's things instead of them playing the good the bad and the ugly theme that I don't care about like yeah. this is far Agreed. more interesting to me and I would be interested to see them sort of like this could have been a cool thing to have on the next Metallica album or something and I don't know like obviously it's it's James and Lars's egos and, and all of that come into it but yeah this is Kirk Hammett's good at things he's good at making music you guys so yeah I, I'm not going to go back to this but I think this is a perfectly successful version of what he was trying to achieve so good on you yep. Kirk Agreed. <laughs> you have our approval uh, we already talked about Reckless Love mm-hmm which means the only one we have left is Undeath, which I'm disappointed to find out is not called It's Time to Rise from the Grave. It's called It's Time to Rise from the Grave, which <laughs> is nowhere near as good. This could have been a cool people pick as well, because this has been uh, tearing up the, uh, the extreme metal underground. People are all over this, including both John and Jimmy, who have uh, written this album up about four times for the blog over the last month. Jimmy reviewed it, saying It's Time to Rise from the Grave is at its core a highly entertaining and deeply satisfying satisfying distillation of death metal and a phenomenal representation of what makes the genre so great. And then I think he wrote it up again in the, the editor's picks saying, it is old school death metal at its most fun and catchy form, paying homage to genre classics with great songwriting, original ideas, and just enough camp without self-parody. John agreed, saying the album was not only a huge step up and forward for the band, but one of the best and most compulsively listenable records of 2022, and that he wouldn't be surprised to see this reach modern classic status. And I think the, uh, the reception of this album has brought Broadly echoed those sentiments. This this album's been everywhere. Now, Carla, you you said when we were talking about our tastes in the first episode that you like death metal plus something else, bog standard, straight ahead death metal. That this is isn't really your thing. Uh, so mm-hmm. I will go to you first. I will admit there are some chorus, but uh, yeah, no prefix, no interest from me, unfortunately. So I'm someone who does enjoy straight ahead death metal uh, more than you, at least. Oh, I I thought I did. There were there was a time where like just death metal, it didn't have to be good. I just like the sound of death metal. So if you were an average death metal band, I was probably going to like you more than an average death metal band because I just like the sound of death metal. And like yep. you're saying, you think your tastes are moving away from that sort of tech metal thing or, or the proggy stuff. 
stuff. Yeah, just bog standard death metal is not doing it for me anymore. That that whole like what what Eden dubbed boomer metal, that that sort of <laughs> move. Like none of those bands really stand out to me. And I think actually you might like this album more than me. I think this album sucks. I am stunned by the reception this is getting. I, I don't understand it at all. Like it has that throwback vibe, but like it's not like that's different. As we just mentioned, there's so many bands doing the sound at the moment. And yeah. the first song came in, I'm like, oh, that sounds like a Cannibal Corpse riff. Cool. I like Cannibal Corpse. Uh, and then the rest of the album happened. This album does not sound like Cannibal Corpse. This album sounds like Six Feet Under. I think the the to- the performances are sloppy. The solos are embarrassing. They sound like me trying to solo. I can't remember the solos. Yeah, no, they stood out to me every time as like, are you kidding? Um, I think the tones on this album are, are awful. So yeah, to me, this sounds like if Six Feet Under released this, A, people wouldn't care and they'd make fun of them. Um, but B, this is my new thing. I do A's and B's. Um, B, this wouldn't even be in the top five Six Feet Under records. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is really bad. I don't get it. Talk about heavy blog reviewer slams band XYZ. <laughs> I, I reviewed uh, for a different website. I reviewed uh, the Six Feet Under album. Their 2015 album, Crypt of the Devil, which is one of the four or five Six Feet Under record albums, I would say are better than this one. I, I really liked that album. Um, and I, So I gave it a fairly good review. But mm. in, in summing up, I said, uh, um, I can't remember what the exact quote was, but it was it was something to the equivalent of like, it's this album's great. And it's also surprising that it came from them after such like a lackluster career to date or something. So real backhanded <laughs> compliment, even though the review was overall very positive. They took that pull quote and stuck it on the marketing for the album that they snapped everywhere. Uh, whatever word it was I used, I'm like, I don't think you know what like lackluster means or whatever. It was, and it was, it was like I said, Will, after an embarrassing two decades as a band, they finally released a few good albums. And they went, yeah, put that on the promo. So maybe on death we'll pick this up and, and run with it but yeah not doing anything for me um yeah so that was on death which which could have been our cool people pick for the week but instead i've gone with something uh, this is like an ultra cool people pick i think this is health's album disco four part two however that works mm-hmm. makes perfect sense yeah now i've picked this one because it's very cool but also i think this uh this might be an interesting discussion we will find out you know health at all i did not know right. um i didn't really either I, I saw their name around so this is a collaboration album and i think mm-hmm. disco one was also a collaboration album and i think there was a song with with full of hell uh, that was called full of health and um i think they did a song with uh chino marino from death terms as well that wasn't on that album but got released so sort of as they've started collaborating with these um extreme metal bands i've become peripherally aware of them but apparently they've been around for a while they're like an experimental electronic indie rock band uh from america and uh prior to this best known for doing the soundtrack to the Max Payne 3 video game but right. yes apparently people are aware of them people what are cooler than me um, but yes there was a bit of buzz within heavier circles because D- Disco the first Disco 4 or the fourth, the first fourth Disco had um, yeah had Full of Hell on it which, um, and had some other sort of heavy art had Perturbator and Ghost Main but even then they're sort of like peripheral to extreme music otherwise mm. uh, much more sort of poppy artists they had 100 Gex Youth Code JPEG Mafia, Sokomoni. So yeah, more pop and indie leading. Whereas yes, the, the lineup for this album includes collaborations with uh, Poppy, Nine Inch Nails, Lamb of God, The Body, Backwash, Horror, um, and Perturbator again. So a much more deliberately extreme uh, album this time around. Um, yeah. What are you making of this one, Carlo? Uh, I thought it was a little disjointed, which is probably unsurprising given every track has a different guest mm-hmm. on it. The more hip hop and indie moments didn't really work for me. 
But when it, where they really homed in on the electronic and metal elements, I thought it was really strong. Like the Nine Inch Nails feature Maynard Vale, uh, I thought they were super cool. The Lamb of God one I did enjoy, although I feel like with there it was sort of here's the electronic part, here's the Lamb of God metal part, and they could have done a better job of perhaps blending those sounds. Um, but I still liked it overall. So so yeah, a bit hit and miss depending on the genres they're playing with for me. Yeah, I agree. And it's like obviously we like death metal, so we're gonna like the death metal songs or whatever. But I, I think yeah, it's the heavier stuff that works way better on this album than than everything mm. else. It's a little bit repetitive and monotone at times, like the, the poppy song sounds really cool for two minutes and then the last three minutes it's just sort of repetitive I wish they they went a bit further same with the Nine Inch Nails song really and, and those two songs to start the album are very morose um, but then yeah when you get into something like um, the song with Backwash and Horror I think is really cool and really aggressive uh, the Lamb of God song I really like I think it works super well mm. um, except it does start off with like the riff at the start is or the chug at the start is the same as Resurrection Man which was the best song on the last Lamb of God album so they just like do that again which is sort of saying, oh, Lamb of God, you are sort of, you need to vary it up a bit. But, you know, all those songs they did where Randy was doing the clean singing and it didn't really work or whatever, the the guy from Health who's putting his voice through all this processing, like it sounds very feminine mm-hmm. um, to me, but it, it works way better here. Like I, was, I actually listened to that and went, oh, this this is how you get like clean singing in a Lamb of God song to work. I, I think it's really successful. Yep. So, yeah, I, I was quite impressed with this. Um, yeah, it's not coherent, but it's it's like meant to be a collaborative album. Um, but for me, the weakest track on this album by a mile is the remix of their own song that they put at the end. That these days, the the actual Just Health song, I think, is so much lesser than the than the rest of um, these songs, which maybe says, yeah, they have cool tones. They maybe they're able to accentuate um, other people's material, but I don't know if the songwriting chops are there on their uh-huh. own. But I don't know. I haven't listened to enough of their other stuff. But yeah, when you bring them into, like, I would like to see them work more with someone like Poppy or Nine Inch Nails or even Lamb of God. I think this is really cool. Yeah, yeah agreed. And yeah. I listened to the I gave the first fourth disco um, a listen as well and I listened to that once but I don't think it works nearly as well here like the standout for me on that album was the Full of Hell and the Ghost Main tracks so obviously my personal taste but I think they've really hit on something here with the collaborations with heavy artists so if they do another one of these I will definitely be checking out yeah, I think that makes me one cool dude and, and well <laughs> you as well if you, if you do the same thing alright I think that is us for this week yeah so next month we'll be back to talk about releases from we talked about him already Kendrick Lamar I wasn't sure if you'd be interested um, in talking about him but you've just said you're a big P- to Pimper Butterfly fan so we'll talk mm-hmm. about the new Kendrick Lamar album yeah also albums from Moontooth and Cave-In and Coed and Cambria as well Coed and Cambria and Septic Flesh a bunch of big names but I think maybe the, the biggest name there or the most uh, relevant name for us is Ibaraki who released their uh, their album yesterday for us this is uh, Matt Heafy from Trivium's black metal solo collaboration project I'm not really sure uh, what it is but I guess we'll get into that more next time so looking forward to talking about that with you Carly really burying the lead there what am I burying the lead Isan is with him co-writing I'm not sure if he is like he's at least producing and writing the whole thing I'm pretty sure even if he's not featuring on it yeah just because the track list specifically says this song featuring Isan I'm like well do all the other ones not feature Isan um, but we we can hash that out uh, next because it, it has been billed as a, a Matt Heafy project from what I've seen so I wasn't sure mm. if Isan had dropped off the project at some point um, did, did you have any uh, uh, sort of uh, not, not premature who um, be like, oh, I think it's really good that's a premature thought uh, I haven't uh, <laughs> 
haven't heard it yet. Oh yeah, we've had the promo for a while. You haven't, you haven't listened to it. All right. Well then, I won't. I won't tease my my thoughts about it. We will be back to discuss that next month. Is there anything else coming out you want to uh, highlight? Uh, no, I think that's you've done a good job there. So thanks, man. There's also a new Def Leppard album coming out, but I'm not going to make you listen to that. I will listen to that and go, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't written a good album since like 1990. Don't worry about it. <laughs> So yeah, I'm not going to make you listen to that unless you want to. After the crash diet uh, um, breakthrough, what's the? There's another one coming out. Heat, Heat have a new album coming out. That's the next one, but that's that's right. not for a few months. And I think we're going to do cool people, the ultimate cool people time with a new Arcade Fire album. Yeah, um, uh, yes. Yeah. So we'll see what we make of that. All right. Um. Bye. Nice. <laughs>